Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. This is the podcast dedicated to educating and empowering men to address erectile dysfunction, improve confidence, and enhance the satisfaction in their relationships. This podcast is brought to you by ErectionIQ.com. Learn more at ErectionIQ.com. Welcome to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. I am Mark Goldberg, Certified Sex Therapist. I am deeply passionate about working with men like you to help resolve their ED. We are back with another episode of the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. We are joined today by Dr. Trish Lee. I'm very excited to have her um, on this episode with us, um, as you'll hear about in a couple of moments. Dr. Lee is a cognitive uh, neuroscientist and a certified sexual addiction recovery coach with a coaching practice in North Carolina. She works extensively on the impact of porn on the brain, helping people to break unwanted habits and address brain and thought patterns. I'm very excited to have her here so we can discuss this really uh, important and relevant topic. So Dr. Lee, thank you very much for being with us. Yeah, you're welcome. I'm super excited to be here and to dive into, let's go deep, right? Let's dive into some good stuff and help people out. Yes, I'm really, really excited to get into the weeds about this topic. But before we do dive in, um, when we talk about porn, I want to just remind our listeners uh, about this term, porn-induced erectile dysfunction. Um, it is a complex term. We get a lot of questions about this, and um, it's one that we should be talking about on this podcast as it you know, certainly pertains to um, erectile dysfunction. So I've previously shared my apprehensions with the actual term porn-induced erectile dysfunction because I generally try to avoid any single causality or simplification of an otherwise extremely complex condition like erectile dysfunction, certainly when it comes to um, assessment and resolution. We want to try to keep as open in mind as possible. But today, the topic is porn and how it impacts the brain and subsequently erection. So without further ado, uh, Dr. Lee, I'm going to ask you to just tell us just in general about what is known, the impact of porn on the brain. Um, and how do we know this? Sure. So, and I just will, I guess I'll start with sharing your, um, you know, idea that diagnoses or terms that might not serve us, I don't anchor into those. And I'll use the term porn influenced a lot because instead of induced, you know, if you induce something, there's a direct line of causality, which I do think there is a causality there, honestly, but I will use the term porn influenced a lot. Um, so, you know, when we, we know there's so much science out there that erectile dysfunction is impacting many more men since the inception of high-speed internet pornography, and it's impacting men of all ages, especially young men. So number one, there's tons of science and more and more all the time. Secondarily, I have personally talked to thousands of them. <laughs> so I have kind of stopped anchoring in so much into science because sometimes people want to get into this, you know, science battle. And sometimes when it comes to the science, you have to connect the dots. And I'm happy to do that here today. But at the same time, like, you know, I'll talk to young men, 19 year olds with erectile dysfunction who can't be with a partner. So this is, I believe this is at epidemic levels because many people aren't talking about it and they're not sharing their own experiences. They'll go to their urologist or to their, you know, their primary care physician and who don't know 
or they won't even share that they consume porn. So like this is flying under the radar and it's impacting so many men and the relationships. Yeah. So, so we'll, we'll definitely come to talk about the, uh, what seems like an uptick or a trend, you know, upwards with, uh, reptile dysfunction being reported in younger and younger men. Well, I want to get into that, but before we get to the erection side of things, what do we know about just the impact on the brain uh, when, it, when it comes to consumption of porn? Yeah, so we know that it's essentially, well, I'm going to kind of keep it um, geared towards, you know, erections eventually, I guess, we'll, we'll or there. arousal or arousal, you know, so what we know is that it's a dopamine dysregulation in the brain. And the way that I talk about it is that there's a porn cycle of the four D's, I call it. And the four D's are when it's when a person is in a porn habit, whether we call it addiction, dependency, compulsion, whatever word we want to use. If there's a consistent, frequent, and especially intense porn habit, it exists on a 4D cycle. There's a dopamine drip. The drip happens when the person has the idea they're going to consume porn. And this is based on an addiction cycle that there is lots and lots of science supporting, but basically the dopamine gets flowing a little and that there's a three second window to be able to move away from this cycle. And if you don't, basically the brain will chase down the dopamine that's already started flowing. And that's why I call it a dopamine drip. And men who are caught up in this know the feeling. So then what happens that's, is that's like an anticipatory feeling. You're saying before it is watching, it's knowing mm -hmm. that you are going to be engaging in that. Yep. Okay. Yeah. And that's exactly, you know, that's exactly it. It's anticipatory. Then when when they're setting up or they're getting into their porn session, if we'll call it that, the dopamine starts to flow. And I call it a dopamine deluge, meaning flooding. So the it starts to flood the brain. The longer or the more intense a person is in that deluge, it will drown out the brain. So I call that the dopamine drowning. And I have actually some science that I can share with you in a minute behind that. The last D in the 4D cycle is a dopamine deficit. So now after they've consumed porn and after the time frame that their brain is numbed out, it's drowned out the feeling that they wanted, and sometimes it's too much after the cycle's gone on where a person feels demotivated. That'll happen in that drowning phase. So then what happens is they're back into their life. There's a dopamine deficit. They're not getting dopamine from the healthy dopamine levels that we should get from our work, from our relationships, from our hobbies, from our life. So it's a dopamine dysfunction in that inadvertently the brain has linked dopamine to the screen and whatever sexual acting out behavior and it's being flooded with the dopamine we know that porn is a super normal stimulus it gives the brain more dopamine than healthy levels and more dopamine that can be found in those healthy activities in life and do we we know that from brain scans like how, how do we assess that so it's has been assessed there's a few studies that are out there that show that this is happening in the brain that the reward centers in the reward center and the reward pathway in the brain is being desensitized by the high exposure to high levels of dopamine and the d2 receptors in the brain are basically being desensitized the pathways are kind of being 
burnt out from this high level. We also know that in terms of supernormal stimuli, well, I was going to tell you something else, but before I go there, there's a study on the butterfly effect, which you probably know of. The butterfly effect is that they painted butterflies with brighter colors and the male butterflies were attracted to the painted butterflies opposed to the healthy, normal level stimuli of the regular butterflies. So they call it chasing the butterfly effect where porn is the supernormal stimulus, not only because of the screen, but because of the acts. And when, when I say intensity, we're, we're crossing different boundaries that don't happen in healthy sexuality, which dumps that dopamine. So there's that effect that we know is happening in the brain in terms of supernormal stimuli. And the second thing I was going to say, and then I can throw it back to you, is that supernormal stimuli exist on a continuum. So sexual media, which social media is primarily sexualized, and especially when men get caught in a porn habit, that's what they're seeking out in social media. So sexual media is a lower level supernormal stimulus opposed to porn kind of being the highest. Social media is a supernormal stimuli. Electronic screen time in and of itself is. So um, there's, like you said, it's very, there's a lot more to it, but that's the beginning of it. It's not porn to the exclusion of a whole bunch of other uh, types of things that people engage in that can also push dopamine levels up. Porn might be a more uh, pronounced um, or exaggerated version of that dopamine push, but this can go on through other forms of uh, media consumption and engagement with you know screens and whatnot. So there's a lot of layers and a lot of levels to this. There are a lot of layers, but at the same time, screen time in and of itself can be managed Porn time can't be managed in terms of having healthy brain function. It in and of itself is a very high supernormal stimulus so that when you consume it, likely you're desensitizing the reward center in your brain. Okay. So like, you know, if you go on Netflix, you're not necessarily desensitizing the reward center in your brain, but if you're giving your brain this very high level of dopamine. Okay. So the premise, the premise here though, is that porn pushes higher levels of dopamine, which starts to kind of reset the standard for achieving arousal. And as you push those dopamine levels higher and higher, the brain then needs that to achieve like a an excitation or a lighting up. So It is, yeah. So there's two types of dopamine levels that we talk about. One is tonic and one is phasic. So tonic is your baseline dopamine levels. And that's different for all people, and it's different depending upon how you live your life. So in my program, I teach people to reset their dopamine levels so that they're at healthy levels, not at very high levels. So again, it's complex, but what happens for most men is that their tonic baseline dopamine levels have gone up. So then when you get a, when you're looking for a dopamine spike, that spike has to be very high because your tonic level is so much higher that you need a very high phasic level, the spike that people are looking for. Okay. In order to cross that that excitation threshold. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Okay. So I know this is not a fair question, but I'll ask it anyways. Sure. Let's go. I love a yeah. fair question. How, how much cord <laughs> is too much? And what I mean by that is that in your experience of working with you know, countless numbers of men, 
what are we generally talking about here? Mm-hmm. You're not going to like my answer because an unfair question deserves an unfair answer. That's the okay. reality, this is what I've already basically said to you. I'm sorry, everybody listening, but any porn is too much. I know you want to hear like soft porn and vanilla porn is okay. And I know you want to hear 20 minutes a week is fine. But because of, it's like, you know, how much cocaine is is okay. Like, you know, there isn't, it, it's a very high stimulant. It, you know, so like the, it's, it's a very, it's a so let me, similar. Let me, let me, let me ask this question, not someone on a, what people should be doing. We talk about pushing this uh, dopamine threshold higher and higher. I, I have to work under the assumption that some, you know, minimal exposure for many people is not really going to significantly move that threshold. So, like, what I'm wondering is, like, is there? But it does. I, yeah, I get it, and but it doesn't work that way for most people. So it works that way for like the one percent. And honestly, I don't know the percentage, but it's very low. We can just say one percent. I don't know it off the top of my head, but I know it exists scientifically. Is that the idea? Is that the way that, I mean, and porn sites are acutely aware of this, by the way, and that's why they're designed this way. So when you are exposed to it, it is basically in first and second exposure. We know this from the science. Within two exposures, your baseline levels are readjusting themselves. And later on, if you want, we can get to the idea that this first exposure is happening to adolescents or children. So this is the real danger. It's not happening to it's a whole other not happening to their whole nother it issue. is a whole it's a whole nother issue because developmentally the brain isn't ready to handle this adjustment but that's the truth of it so like let's not pretend most people are being exposed at 40 they're mostly being exposed at 11 or 12. so the 12 year old brain is exposed to something that is highly arousing and the brain changes its baseline levels then and if you and i call it the seeds of addiction just to make it easy to think about those seeds were planted and the baseline levels were changed. It felt good. It makes the person want more of it. So then you go back in, but your brain does not respond the same way because the levels have already adjusted. So you need a higher level of arousal to, you need a higher higher level of dopamine to get the same level of arousal that you experienced the first time. You already need more in the second time. Yes. So, so to that end, um, with with the proliferation of pornography, which is it's tremendous. I mean, really, is a tremendous amount of people that are consuming pornography on a daily basis. There's even more people that are consuming it on a casual basis. Should we be seeing like extreme rates of dysfunction? Yeah, we are seeing extreme rates of dysfunction. We're just not pointing the arrow in the right direction. We know this is the first time ever in history that the generation behind us is worse off in terms of health first time mind-blowing isn't it that yeah. our young people are in worse physical and mental health condition than the generations before literally for thousands of years the next generation has been in a better position than the previous this is the first time in history that's shifting and that is because of electronic screen time use time use and it's definitely because of porn use Okay, so we're going to come. We'll, we'll come to the numbers in in a couple more moments as we as we dig into this. Now, 
you touched on this previously, and this is a, a question that we get a lot, which is, does the content of the porn make a difference? It does. And it, and I'm going to kind of link it back to fig, finishing the thought on, you know, the seeds of addiction being planted two times later, you know, not even then two times later, your brain already needs more intensity. So like the way that this whole thing usually falls out for people is they need to ramp up the intes- intensity. It's either the frequency, the intensity or both to be able to get the same arousal feelings that they felt last time or last week or last year. So tolerance building happens and then escalation happens. So the so yes, like the type of porn that people watch does matter because on that continuum of supernormal stimuli, like, you know, vanilla porn is not the same as some of the porn that exists that people probably don't even know exist. That includes a lot of violence. That includes um, crossing over different boundaries in terms of the people who are in the in the porn scenes, the acts that are done. Like as those things are crossed, that delivers more intensity, which delivers more dopamine, which impacts the brain more. Yes, and it's part of tolerance and tolerance building and escalation. So, is it, so tolerance building escalation. You're saying, does it push? Does that push people to see pushing? more intense forms of content. It does. It does. And then my point about, you know, porn sites not being, you know, dumb to this fact is that's why there's their clickbait is there to click, to bait your, to bait your action into hitting something that is at a higher level to keep you going for more and more and more creating the dependency. Because the way that I talk about it is it's on, a continuum or a spectrum. I already, I know I already said that about supernormal stimuli, but like basically first there's use. Then after some time there's there's misuse. And if these seeds are planted when you're young, most people follow this pattern. Use to misuse, abuse which becomes dependency, which becomes compulsion, which becomes addiction. And somewhere in those middle areas, it flips from you want to watch porn to you have to watch porn to not feel bad. At first, it's I want to watch it because it makes me feel good. Use, what, what, misuse. What, what general percentage of people would you say fall into that category? Do they have to have like an addictive personality? Um, if somebody comes in and says, I, I, I watch porn, I don't know, once a month. And I've, I've stayed that way for the past six years. I just every so often I get a, I get a, a little feeling that I want to do that, I do it, and then I I don't re-engage. Like, is that is that an uncommon presentation? That's uncommon, but that does happen. And tip, I have multiple competing thoughts, but typically, what happens is, well, the first thing I would say to that person is, like, you could still be in a porn cycle. It just is every two weeks or every month or every three months, and. You know, I work with people who they watch porn every six months, but they have to every six months. The yeah. the bell rings and they have to hit the button. So that is still a dependency. And when people feel the feeling like, man, this thing is, you know, controlling me, not me controlling it. That's the feeling of dependency. And for most people, because of the the essence of high speed Internet porn and the way that it's delivered now Many people can't escape that transition from use to addiction. 
be just because of the level of the way it's presented and the level of and it goes back to dopamine too so just to fill in the gaps on what dopamine is dopamine is a neurochemical and it's called the molecule of motivation it's the molecule or the neurochemical of pleasure so basically where you're getting the most of it you're motivated to go back to it to get pleasure so like the way that that porn sites are set up is it's a pull is the way i talk about it so there's three main different types of porn addiction and we don't need to break them down but old school classic porn addiction didn't have this pull it had the push and the pull was a little like a stack of playboys it was static it wasn't dynamic it didn't have an escalation factor to it so the push and going back to your the question like do you have to have an addictive personality like we know that you know quote unquote addiction is familial some people call it genetic i call it familial brains don't fall far from the tree so there is a propensity in there but that propensity can be changed and if you were never exposed to porn when you were young that that pull and push wouldn't be there towards porn it might be there to food which is dopamine producing or to something yeah. else yeah from Harry, if Mary correctly the idea here is that where let's say before high speed internet or really before the internet at all, um, to really be engaged in that kind of addiction required a tremendous amount of activation. So like the numbers of people that at least were known to us, it would had to have been significantly small. And everybody's got a device in their pocket. So Or an in your pocket, that's what I call it. <laughs> yeah, they can they can easily access that. And the system is basically designed to pull more and more people in that 30, 40 years ago would not have been actively pursuing uh, this type of, of material. Yeah, and one factor which I was starting to get to with dopamine is that the seek and find behavior of porn and even of Netflix. It, like right now it's like search, 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 find. That in and of itself is activating dopamine and when it's linked to something highly arousing that that's part of it the seeking and finding is part of it you know so like back in the day none of that existed anywhere and that will also you know increase people from from smaller amounts of use where if they're on their phone on other social media and they're in this seek and find behavior and especially like i already said on social media it's sexualized it's creating the drips that will if you've been exposed to porn it'll push you in that direction there's yeah. many things that do that right now. Yeah, so that, and I've, I've worked with a number of people, I'm sure you have as well, where they, they actually have a routine where the drip is the more pleasurable part of it, where they will you know, load them onto a social media platform and they'll you know start slow and they know that the search will lead to a next search, which will lead to the next search. And that is actually the more pleasurable part for them of the whole process than actually getting to any um, you know bona fide pornographic material. They end up there because that's part of how the process goes. Um, yeah. but that's that's not really where they're finding like the most well without ending up there it that wouldn't be that pleasurable like if uh, like you know the they know that's the goal of course of course you, so you, that you is up there to make uh -huh. the process pleasurable. it does yes yes okay now uh you know Pornhub obviously is a a well-known platform mm -hmm. uh for for many reasons there's been ethical concerns on their platform as there are with many of the other platforms but they, one of the interesting things, they do publish macro data um, to kind of give us some information about what is uh, being searched for, what's being consumed. 
In 2022, the most popular form of pornography that was searched for was hentai, which which is a animated version of pornography. Now, this is clearly not replicable in a relationship. I mean, there's just no way to bring this stuff forward. Um, what, what, what do you make of that type of material being consumed at such high levels and how that really could also be a factor here seeping into people's relationships? Yeah, and that's generational too, because generationally speaking, um, young men and women, honestly, because we know now younger generation, more women are consuming porn, but generationally, there's a lot of shows that are animated. That's just just across the generation that's more popular. Um, but at the same time, then, you know, you can make, you can animate the person into whatever you want, which takes the layer of fantasy even higher than what you could do with real performers. So again, it's another distancing factor from what you, what healthy sexuality is and should and can be. And it's creating that gap in, I call it the arousal gap. The arousal gap is widening because of, you know, that animated aspect. But honestly, I wouldn't even necessarily call that the more um, dangerous genre that's out there in terms of dopamine. In my book, when it crosses moral boundaries for people, which of course is subjective, not necessarily objective, there's ones that most of us would agree on and make it more objective. But when it crosses a moral boundary, that I call it a friction point, that friction point of pleasure and anxiety can really ramp up the experience for people. And people have shared that with me too. And that can really, you know, create a massive arousal gap. And it's not just like what you're, cons what you're looking at, it is the fact that it's anxiety provoking. Yeah, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because I think also we're seeing you know higher and higher numbers of people let's say break what used to be considered you know the norms uh, even you know, with open relationships uh, ethical non monogamy where they are breaking into those taboos and trying to incorporate maybe some of that angst and excitement into their lives would would that effort decrease this dopamine push or would it somehow help them to reach that dopamine push or they're 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 trying and actually i looked the science up on polyamory mm -hmm. um because i wanted to know that kind of for myself not from a dopamine standpoint or an arousal standpoint but i wanted to know if all the people in that relationship are enjoying themselves or if it's really designed for one person and the reality is it's generally designed for the pleasure of one person and that again is speaking to what's happening in society right now. Young women are learning to be the objects of pleasure for men, which is different than it was generationally a while ago. You know, middle age and older women are hyposexual for the most part. Women years ago were taught not to even think about sex, definitely don't talk about sex, and whatever you do, don't enjoy sex. But now women, you know, women are half clothed everywhere you go. They're learning to be. And I just, just you know, I have six beautiful children. So I'm raising three young men who don't objectify women or I'm trying. Thus far, I'm successful. And I'm trying to raise three young women who don't want to be the objects of that sexuality. 
and I'm succeeding at differing levels for, with all of those kids, just so you know. Like, so like, you know, going back to it, like people are taught to be the objects of pleasure in a relationship, not necessarily to have intimacy. Intimacy disorders at the bottom of all of all of what we're talking about here, a difficulty with intimacy, difficulty with vulnerability, and that real true connection. And so when there's a, you know, multiple person relationship, it's lacking that for the most part for Again, most that, of the participants. Yeah. So you're saying some of that push, at least from a a sexualized, let's say not emotional, but much more of a sexual drive and all that might be to try to bridge this arousal gap for some people to try to figure out how to close that. Um, but but what I'm gathering from you is just saying that this oftentimes doesn't work out. No, and I think it's like, we're seeing it so much in society right now where, you know, you already said it, that norms are being pushed. And I don't know that I would call a lot of them healthy. So like for me, it's not, it's not if it's good or bad because that is subjective. It's like, is it healthy for the people involved? And, you know, without going too deep down the rabbit hole, many of the behaviors of people are based on unhealthy needs. So like if people could actually like sit with themselves and go, okay, what do I need? Mm-hmm. And from a healthy standpoint, if they could regulate themselves, increase their emotional intelligence and introspect, look inside and go, what do I need out of this relationship? Many people want monogamy. Yeah, certainly the safety and security that comes with that, but it definitely is a it's a it's a complex, um, you know, evolving issue um, that that society is facing. But I want to kind of pivot back now a little bit towards the numbers. So, um, like I mentioned in the beginning, I, I view erectile dysfunction um, and other sexual dysfunctions as generally being like multi multifactorial, complex, tricky to like properly assess and treat. Um, how how do we know that? causality of porn. And let me just kind of layer on a, a, a an additional p- point to this. Currently, and again, there's a lot of data out there and it's confusing to sort through it. I think the general consensus is rectal dysfunction is expected to show up basically uh, in, in percentage numbers of the population by age. They say that, you know, your 20s, about 20%, 30%, I know it's not a hard, I meaning it's based on research. It's not a hard, fast rule. Over time, should we be seeing those numbers begin to increase um, so that, you know, in their 20s, we should start to see, you know, rates in the 40s, 50s, 60% with, again, the accessibility and the like the ability to push this dopamine threshold uh, pretty hard, pretty fast. Are we expecting that, say, definitely, gen- I don't know that that'll show up in actual scientific numbers because people aren't talking about it and people aren't sharing that it's difficult for people to share that they have a, you know, porn habit, whether it be significant or not. Mm -hmm. And so we are already seeing that. That's the reality. Will you find a scientific study that shows you 40, 50%? Probably not. But the reality is the, you know, the struggle is real. It's already happening to young men. And it's so, it's so cyclical in that, they struck young men are struggling with erections and arousal more than ever, which means then they have performance anxiety about being with a partner. So they don't, and they watch more porn. It's a self-feeding cycle. So how, how do we know that these numbers are, are more than ever? 
this is like a you know been a, a point of um just a little bit of a confusing point for me in the sense that so much of our data coincides with the high-speed internet access. So erectile dysfunction has gone through a significant destigmatization um, over the past bunch of years. More and more people are coming out and talking about it. Now, we know it's existed for forever um, at all ages. So like, like, how do we know we are... So there, there are studies that show, and I don't have the... I know they exist, but again, I don't have the names of the researchers, but there's studies that show that since high-speed internet was born, that there's a significant spike in erectile dysfunction in younger men. And my point about that is, so there are scientific studies that show that. So how, how do we know that though? In other words, we also don't have people coming forward. There was a huge stigma that, around that. We that's that's have- my point is that like, I don't necessarily know that the world needs to know that and this was my original point when i said i used to like hunker down on the science and try to say i have there's science to support this now after working with so many people it just is it's the truth so like and we're and here i'm here to talk to individual people like each individual person who's listening to your podcast i'm talking to you i'm not talking to the world out there who I need to convince that this is an issue. So what I want to say is if you are struggling with erectile dysfunction, no matter what age you are, and if you watch porn, and if you have a habit like I've talked about, it's the elephant in the room. And I talk to people all the time and they'll go, um, you know, I see you have an anxiety program. You know, maybe I should take that. And and then I'll say, and they'll go, I have erectile dysfunction. And I said, do you watch porn? And they go, yeah. I'm like, well, then you need to take the porn recovery program because it is, it's the elephant in the room. If you're watching porn, it's a contributing factor, whether it's causative or not, it's absolutely contributing. Yeah. And I, I think I'm in agreement with that. It definitely is a piece. Um, I, I know that for for our listeners and so many of the people that we come in contact with, it, it's just a tremendous amount of confusion because there is data going in all different directions. And I know that there are people who are uh, hardline advocates of pornography use, and there are people who are hardline like anti-porn use. And um, a, you know, a simple Google sh- search will will pick up all of that. And you know, people are being like, pulled in different directions. So get a bit. Yeah, and I and I get that, but like that's why I ask you know each individual person to you know search your mind and your heart. Is porn use good for you? Like the quote unquote benefits of porn are those unhealthy needs that I was talking about. Like the the advocates of porn are saying, oh, it's a good way to get your relationship steamy. But I would contend that going back to what I already said, those are two unhealthy people. Like if you and your partner need to watch porn to get it going, like you're both emotionally unhealthy, getting those unhealthy needs met. If, I, if I'm hearing you correctly, because there was a you know a study that came out not too long ago assessing couple satisfaction, and one of the you know what you know some people would consider a surprising uh, finding was that couples who engaged in in intermittent use of pornography together reported higher levels of satisfaction. But I'm hearing from you just saying, okay, that's that might be true in their self-reporting, but there might be some underlying pieces here, and if we're looking at this. From a thirty thousand foot view, it could be that all of this pornography in the first place is is contributing to a general relationship dissatisfaction that 
for some people may be alleviated by using pornography, but broadly speaking, this is not a generally uh, healthy thing for society and something you are not advocating for. And this has a negative impact on many. 100%. Yes. And, you know, the, and what predominantly what the research shows is what, you know, people in this space refer to as the silent tsunami, where, you know, if you think of it as concentric circles that work out from the core, the core is if a man is consuming pornography, it is an impacting factor on erectile dysfunction, which then not only in erectile dysfunction, but in other relationship dynamics creates toxic relationship dynamics, which then impacts children, friends, your work, your your hobbies, your ability to get into life, like that tsunami ripples out very far. Exactly. I, I, yeah, I'm a hundred percent in agreement about that, especially because I think it again, it's hard to tease out. Is it is it social media, the way people are interacting today? But um, you know, for some, you know, people that I work with, men in particular, um, sometimes the pornography like you know, maybe it has a dopamine effect. I don't. I don't know enough if that's what's going on behind the scenes. But a lot of times, um, what we find is there is an anxiety about being with a partner, and like porn doesn't have that. So they can get aroused, but they also just don't know how to interact and interface with their partner. And learning that's the that, that's the intimacy yeah. piece. That's the intimacy that's the piece. And like learning that skill sometimes can be you know enough to bridge that gap. Um, I really like the way that you. Uh, replace that word induce with impacted. I, th- I really like appreciate that. And I think it's a really, really powerful message. Um, the other thing I think will be important to kind of reiterate for our listeners is that individual piece of that. I, I, I've mentioned this myself as well. I'm a big believer that like people need to know themselves and need to have a sense of what is impacting them. If we're going purely off of like, like macro data and that that's where you're using to guide your life, like we're, we're complex creatures. Our mm-hmm. minds are super complex, um, and the percentages in the macro data may not align with what's happening with you or what's really driving it for you. Mm-hmm. So really yeah, really and I, I've actually had the thought that you know it would be interesting to look at every single psychological study since the internet and to parsing out if people watch porn or not. They'd have to actually, uh, uh, they would have to answer honestly because. All studies since then are skewed without looking at it because of the impact that it has on mental and physical health. Too many factors. There's too many Uh factors. Dr. Lee, we are coming to the end of time here. I really appreciate you joining me on this episode. Um, Really, really important stuff. I hope to have you back on a future episode. Thanks for listening to the Erectile Dysfunction Radio Podcast. For more information on today's topic and understanding how the mind impacts erectile dysfunction, please visit ErectionIQ.com. That's ErectionIQ.com.